You are listening to the Mentally Strong Choice Mapping Podcast. I am Dr. B, a doctoral prepared psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner with over 20 years of clinical experience. However, my real expertise comes from having experienced unimaginable hardship. As a result, I created Choice Mapping, a cognitive behavioral approach. Listen and learn how Choice Mapping makes you mentally stronger. Hi. My name is Christy Bundukumar. That is obviously a married name. I must really love him. (laughs) I am a psychiatric nurse practitioner with over 20 years of clinical experience. I have a doctorate in healthcare education with 10 years of teaching experience, and I'm a commander in the U.S. Navy Reserves. Today, I'm going to tell my story, uh, but most importantly, I want you to feel comfortable in your story. I've been married 22 years, and uh, we met in jail. And I always like to pause there for a second and let you think that through. Uh, But honestly, we both worked at a juvenile prison down in South Florida. I I was the director of nursing and my husband was a teacher there. We later on uh, moved on to to different jobs. My husband was a teacher and football coach at the local high school. I went on to work in the neonatal ICU and get my master's as a psychiatric nurse practitioner. And I remember working back in the juvenile jail thinking, this is what I want to do. I want to help these uh, young teens that are having pretty significant problems. We uh, had our first two children. Reggie was born in 1999 and Maya one year later in 2000. So we call those Irish twins. My husband came home from work one day and he said, there's a, there's a young lady in my class that has nowhere to sleep. She's sleeping in a shelter because her mom has kicked her out of the home. And she just has about six months left of of high school. She just needs a place to stay. So we brought her in, loved on her. Only a couple months later, the pastor from our church came and asked us if we would adopt this young man in our church who had just been put into a shelter. And we knew this young man because he had come in and out of our church uh, as child protective custodies would would remove him and then bring him back to his mother over a period of time and he was uh, 15 at the time when we went to adopt him we we asked the young lady does she want to be adopted and she said yes and so uh, that started our family of adopt of adoption and they were so appreciative and so easy we thought, well, this, this must be what we're called to do, you know? I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner. My husband has a doctorate in special education. We can help foster kids. And so we did that process. And I remember the day they called us and they said, we have a boy here. Um, we think that he would be perfect. He's 13 years old. Uh, he looks like he could be your, your child, um, but he has no place to sleep tonight. And we walk into the room and and there he is sitting with his two sisters. And they say, oh, by the way, those are his two sisters and they have no place to sleep tonight either. And so we took on a three child sibling group after just adopting two. So now we have seven children. You know, in the beginning, there's always this little honeymoon period, but after about six months, some pretty significant behaviors started to occur with with this three-child sibling group. And, um, you know, we talk about reactive attachment disorder where where when when you don't have a bond early in your life, you have difficulty making those connections. And so we were clearly seeing some of that behavior. It's like they they wanted us to love them, but they wanted us to give up 
Um, if we weren't going to really love them, they wanted us to give up. And so they would do these behaviors to, to upset us. So our biological children were, you know, three, four, and then, you know, up to five and six. And uh, when, we, when we went on our family reunion in 2005. So this was the first time uh, our adopted children had been out of South Florida and into the country. And so we took them, our family reunion is in Kentucky, very much a culture shock, uh, you know, sitting in the back of pickup trucks, uh, riding four wheelers, playing in the mud, swimming in what we call the eddy hole, which is a swimming hole in the river. And um, everyone was having a really good time. Then July 5th, 2005, the boys went down to the eddy hole to go swimming. I went kayaking and then and the girls stayed back uh, in the home uh, playing with some other kids. And I remember this day very, very clearly uh, because this is the day that that changed everything. The boy that we adopted in the sibling group, Johnny, died in a drowning accident. And the shock that occurs when you hear something like that um, is just takes your breath away. Like you don't really even know how to process that. Johnny had been with us about two and a half years and I, I love him. Um, but all I could think about was how much his sisters loved him and how much the loss that his sisters are gonna feel. And I just remember sitting there holding them as they screamed and cried. We came back uh, to our home in Florida and tried to grieve, tried to again reassure the, the girls that, you know, it was gonna be okay, that we were gonna make it through. Uh, but, but Reggie began to get sick and he, was um, just showing signs of a, a pretty significant developmental delay, super hyper. Uh, he was, you know, five or six years old at that time, acting like a three-year-old. Reggie was diagnosed with DRPLA, which is a progressive terminal autosomal dominant condition. And when the doctor told me that diagnosis, I had never heard of it, it's very rare, but, it's autosomal dominant, which means one of us parents has it and our other biological child could have it. And so they tested the whole family and my husband was diagnosed with DRPLA and my daughter was diagnosed with DRPLA. So you can imagine the grief and trauma that I'm personally experiencing as I'm trying to create a safe environment for Christina and Kayla. And just all of these things going on at the same time. And this is where I began to do what I now call choice mapping. Here I am a psychiatric nurse practitioner and I'm struggling. I'm angry with God, I'm depressed, I'm anxious. And I don't even know what to do for myself. There's so much going on. There's so many things that I have to figure out on a, on a daily basis that um, I, I had to figure out how to organize my brain. 
And so that's when I began doing this process on myself, but it took, you know, five, 10 years later for me to, to be able to share it with other people. So in the midst of this, the girls are rebellion, rebelling. Reggie is sick and he's getting worse. Uh, he began, his seizures began out of control. I mean, he was having, he could have 12 grandma intense seizures where he stops breathing and we need oxygen in one day. And then we'd, we'd do something and the doctors would do something and we'd think he's getting better. And then it would happen again and the seizures, the seizures would just get out of control and out of control. And then I remember the, the, the day that Maya had her first grand mal seizure. It was like a knife in my chest. Like, I knew she had DRPLA. We had her tested, but sometimes you don't start to have symptoms until you're an adult, like, like my husband. Here she has her first grand mal seizure. And all I could do was hold her and cry. I didn't call 911. I didn't do any of that because I knew what it was. I had been handling it with my son for years already. We did take her to the emergency room that day. Uh, she was started on medication. She actually had a couple years of seizure control with medication, which for a lot of people with seizures, they actually have, you know, the medication works. But then the me medication stopped working, uh, just like with Reggie. So even though her symptoms were significantly more mild than Reggie, we could see them starting slowly and slowly. And so the grief of this is just almost unbearable. Um, but in the midst of that, I'm teaching, I'm working full time. I'm running around the country trying to find treatments for them. And I'm choosing to be happy. And, and anyone who's been through any of, of these things knows how difficult that can be people would always be like, what? how can you be happy? And I'm like, well, how can I not be happy? One, I ha you have to choose to be happy, but it's more than just choosing to be happy. It's, it's, you know, I had developed this technique that I was using on myself that I do have a way to get out what's going on in my head. I do have a way to grieve. I have a way to identify and organize the different things that are going on in my brain and in and figure out what to do with them and still have a personal vision for the future. So that's where, where choice mapping started. And at this point, Reggie is, the seizures are every three days, he has 10 to 15 grand mal seizures and just significantly uh, debilitating. He is beginning to have dystonia and the ataxia is so bad that he can't walk by himself. He was in a lot of pain. Um, you know, still again in and out of the hospital, but every time we'd go to the hospital, there'd be nothing that they could do. October 30th, 2016, um, he was kind of sick that morning, not doing well, but I, I chose not to take him to the hospital because we have 24 hour nursing he, uh, they never can really do anything for him. I ended up having to call 911 later that, that night. He uh, started having difficulty breathing and I knew it wasn't safe for me to transport him. 
And when the EMS workers got there, uh, they immediately started to intubate him, which means putting a tube in his throat to breathe. And then they started chest compressions. And I knew at that moment that my son was dead. Prior to Reggie's death, I could fight and have hope. I really believed that I was gonna find a cure for Reggie. So this was a, a, a huge blow to my faith, my trust in God. You know, in that initial uh, shock phase, you know, I talked to a lot of colleagues who happen to be psychiatrists and doctors and, and they have no advice for me. And so I knew I had to figure out how to move on, how to continue to be happy. And then after, after about a year of really choosing to grieve and feeling that pain, I then, then realized I can do this. I can lose a child, lose another child, and I can be okay. It's never going to be okay that those things happened, but I can be okay. And so that's when I decided that it was time to share choice mapping uh, with other people, that, that you can actually learn to identify and organize your thoughts. You can learn to grieve. You can learn uh, how to handle your triggers. You can uh, control your anxiety. You can make choices about your behavior. Um, you can, there's a, there's a way to do that. Um, and so, and I had actually unknowingly created a very easy formula to do that. And so that's how this all began. And that's why uh, we've created this channel to be able to encourage and inspire people. And so, uh, I am Dr. Christy Bandukumara, psychiatric nurse practitioner. I um, developed choice mapping for you. Uh, it helped me, uh, but I developed it for you. And you are mentally strong. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about choice mapping, visit our website, www.mentallystrong.com. And remember, choice mapping makes you mentally stronger.